0: And I'm thankful that uh, the Lord opened that door, our heart all along was that we would have, we would not go into debt. We didn't feel like that was what the Lord would want us to do, and and we're not. We're going to have all of this done, and we've got some parking lot issues that we'll have to take care of come spring, and got to work some outside stuff, but man, the Lord has provided all the way, and I'm just thankful that we've never had a building project that I'm aware of where we had to, you know, you need to give in the 27 years. We've never done that, just always faithful giving of the. Of the people of the Lord, and because we because we love Him, and that's why. But um, I'm just thankful for that. Amen. Turn your Bibles to the Book of Numbers. I don't preach a lot out of the Old Testament, and today I'm taking a text out of the Old Testament, and um, we're going to go go somewhere that. Um, well, let me put it this way: I coached football for a lot of years, and uh, Dad preached this morning, and that would be. Uh, kind of like you win the game on Friday night and everybody's rejoicing and everybody's happy. And um, I coached and there were times when in the heat of the summer, it'd be just a grind a little bit and we'd take the kids. I'd, I'd talk to the athletic director and say, hey, can we get into the swimming pool? So we did practice them and then the last like 15 minutes let them go. Boy, they were happy. And so, but then Monday comes after, the, when, during the season and we go to the film room. And that could seem like a really good thing, but if you're playing, It's not. It's not always a good thing to go to the film room because you might have won, but it starts revealing all the flaws that were there. And so Brandon knows, Rodney knows, and getting that like, oh, I don't really want to go to film. We're going to film this morning, or this afternoon. Going to the film room. So Numbers chapter 16. Um, I think that the things of the Lord are there to uplift us, and I'm thankful for that message that Pastor preached today. But I also think the things of the Lord are there to remind us and to protect us. Amen? Every message can't just be... Something that feels good. Every message can't be something that that pleases our ears. Sometimes we have to talk about some things that the Lord wants to make us aware of. Maybe they're not current issues in our life, but maybe they are. Maybe they're things that we're going to face down the road. And the Lord clearly put this in my heart. And so I'm going to share it with you. Uh, I want to look at the first verse. And it says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi... And Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the sons of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses. And with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then, lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard this, he fell upon his face. Jesus, I pray that you would help me to deliver what you have put in my heart. And I pray that we would be warned and strengthened and encouraged by your word, comforted by your, by your protection. And Jesus, we give you all the glory and everybody say amen. So number 16 gives us a sobering uh, history of Korah. Let me set up what's happening so that we can see. I'm not going to read the chapter for the sake of time, um, but we can see what the Lord maybe would speak to us through this Old Testament example. First off is that when we talk about Israel in the Old Testament, it's, it's generally agreed that predominantly, and maybe not in every situation, but Israel represents the church. And so when we look at the types of the Old Testament, the scripture said it was type and shadow. We see the representation of Israel being the church. And so those things that affect how how this affected Israel would be a similar type of thing, how this would affect the church. So that's why I want to go there. So Korah is the singer. He is the self-appointed and anointed worship leader. The man of God by by his own distinction. And he feels like... That, that he has become offended at Moses. Now, if this was not an important event, we'll get to even New Testament reference to this, but if this was not an important event, then I don't believe the Lord would have included it in the, in the text, but it, it's there. Korah becomes offended at Moses. He said, you take on too much for yourself. So if we, if we again, look at the picture of, of Israel being a type of the church, then we would look at Moses as being a type of what? Pastor, which is what he is. Leadership, ministry. Moses and Aaron are functioning as the ministry of the Lord toward Israel. And so Korah becomes offended. He says, and and, and there's there's some some little side notes here that, that we should think about is that He becomes offended, but he doesn't just become offended and keep it in his own mouth or in his own heart, but he begins to spread around throughout the congregation trying to find people who think like what he thinks. And he finds himself 250 men of renown. They're well-known people within Israel, and he converts them to his perverted thought. And he is thinking that Moses, in essence, has no business doing what he is doing he says listen everybody in the congregation hears from god anytime you hear that kind of uh that kind of thought process you need to be warned it's never of the lord and this is where Korah comes he says listen moses why do you exalt yourself we all hear from god everybody here is holy everybody here is separated And everybody here knows every bit as much as you. Why do you exalt yourself up and not allow us to have access to do the things that we want to do? Now, Korah is of the Levites. And so he he has some duty, but he doesn't have a, a function within the kingdom he, he, con- he considers himself minister, but he is not of, of Aaron, and so he has no right to the priesthood. But he's not comfortable with that. He's not content with that. And so he begins to rail against Moses. He, he's offended by the responsibility. He's offended by the lack of, of consult, that Moses isn't talking to him, and he's not talking to the leaders. Now, all of these things, as I'm saying this, if you've been in church any length of time, especially outside of this church, you're going to have experience this kind of stuff going on. A lot of church meetings, a lot of people upset because their opinion's not being heard. Can any older people been in church say amen? Heard this kind of stuff? So, uh, he knows better than, than Moses. He knows how the church should be run. He knows who should be in leadership. He knows who should be singing. And he sees that Moses has a speech problem. And Moses... You know, that really probably should be pointed out. So he is, he is consulting with all those around him trying to gather a group that will go and stand up because there's strength in numbers. If we can just get enough people convinced of our opinion, then we have a right to take it to leadership and, and get it all corrected. And, and leadership will have to listen then at that point. And this is really where he's at. He can find every reason why Moses is unfit. He's not content just with being upset, but he's looking for every opportunity to encourage people around him to also become stiff-necked and defiant. He offers advice and praise to those who would stand against Moses. He's going to encourage people who would have a problem with Moses. He's not going to say, hey, listen, you've got a problem with Moses. Moses is appointed with God. You've got a problem with God. No, he's going to listen to the problems and he's going to say, you know what? You're right. You need to have that type of opinion. You should should not be comfortable with the idea of, of Moses being the leader that God set out. He would say things like, I'm proud that you think independently. You don't need any man to tell you what to think. Let me tell you what to think. Has anybody ever heard somebody say, I don't believe that any man has a right to tell any other man anything? I've heard it. I've heard it in church. It's the exact same let me, let me, let you have a, a name for it now. It's the spirit of Korah. That's the name. We all hear from God. It's the spirit of Korah. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord says, don't let any man think more highly than he ought to, but let each esteem others as better than himself. But the spirit of Korah says, I'm just as good as you. Opposite spirits. One spirit of the Lord, one spirit of the devil. So Korah says, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody has a right to tell you what to think, but let me tell you what to think. You know, in, in essence, it, 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 hypocrisy is, is rich with, with the spirit of Korah. Um, so let me let me pause for a second, and, and immediately we get this thought, well, this is pretty heavy. This is like kind of heavy stuff. I was feeling really good about joy, and now we're into heaviness. <laughs> well, I kind of wow, Pastor Rodney, wow. Um, why, why would we even need to talk about this? Because the spirit of Korah is the spirit of division, and it always rears its head back up within the kingdom of God. Now, how many would agree that we believe this? Everybody would have to. We believe that this is a, a good body, and we love what God's doing in our church here. How many would agree? Do you think the devil's content with that? you think he's just... Man, you know, that echoes they got, finally got out of California. I don't have any claw in them now. They're out here in Oklahoma in God's country. I can't really get to them, so I'm just going to let them be now. No. There's always going to be the spirit of Korah because it's within. is a part of the church, but it's within man to rise up against other men. It's, it's within us to, to have difficulty being instructed or even encouraged. And so it's important because these thoughts creep up when God, I believe, is building something. Chris and I were talking, I think it was last night, this generational thing that God's doing here. We have always preached that and believed in it. And in another 20 years, this church is going to be a lot bigger than it is. Simply for this reason. Our kids are having kids and their kids are going to have kids. And we believe our kids are staying here and going to be a part of this body. So it's just going to grow. But so are we exempt then? from this influence of the spirit of Korah. No. Where the spirit of the Lord says to love, the spirit of Korah says to hate. Where the spirit of the Lord says to fellowship, Korah says to isolate. Where the Lord says to build up, Korah tears down. Where the Lord says to forgive, Korah offers instead offense and bitterness. This is always this, you can hear this almost within our own hearts that the spirit of the Lord is there and, and he's trying to lead us in a direction, and it's that spirit of man. I, think it's, I don't think it's unique to Korah. I just think he exhibited clearly and manifested this spirit that we can define. Offense and bitterness always look for company. Has anybody ever noticed that? Offended people, bitter people, always. They're, 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 um, the old adage, what is it? Misery loves company. Always looking for somebody to be miserable with you. You're never happy to be miserable on your own, so you're looking for somebody miserable with you. Look who Korah chooses to team up with. It's interesting because it names them. He teams up with Dathan and, and Abiram. Abiram, that name means the father of arrogance. Exalted father. These are the boys, the sons of Reuben. Really, this is the overriding influencer, the sons of Reuben. Well, who is Reuben? Everybody remember who Reuben is? He's the firstborn of Jacob. The one who should be making sure his father is cared for. Right? That was the responsibility of the firstborn. But what does Reuben do? Jacob encounters God. He wrestles with God. And he is, he is left disabled. He has a limp for the rest of his life. And as soon as Reuben sees that that Jacob is incapacitated. He has a deficiency in him. Instead of coming alongside, which is what I will do, and I know Heather's going to do the same thing, we'll be fighting over taking care of our parents, but instead of coming alongside and saying, my my father is now disabled, I need to help him, he looks at the opportunity to seize control of the family. And he takes Bilhah, his father, the His his brother's mom, the mother of his brothers, a wife or a concubine. It was it was the handmaiden, but she served as Abraham's or as Jacob's wife, and he took her to himself. Really, more than anything, I think what we see in Reuben is this idea of usurping authority and trying to establish his right and his role and his position. And this is immediately who Korah flocks to. Reuben is unstable. In fact, this is what Jacob's prophesies over him. Upon his death, he says, you are unstable. You're unbuildable. You're not sound. You're you're in and out and up and down and all over the place. And this is where bitterness and this is where offense gathers. And these type of people let me cast a loud warning. Offense and bitterness make for strange bedfellows. They will cause unity when, when you become offended, when you become, allow that offense to fester and become a bitterness inside of you. They will draw you to unity with people that should never be trusted. They will draw you to compromise against the values and the and the structure that you know to be right just because you have an alliance against the same person. This is always a difficulty. And and I see this happen frequently. I've seen this happen a lot of times through the years. We've been blessed, we have not had. And I think it's because we don't do church boards and we don't, we're not voting on stuff. We're just all a, a bunch of believers that are working together to see Christ formed in each other's lives. So we haven't had a tremendous amount of this, but even in, our, even in this body, I've seen this happen many times, that, that offense begins to arise. Is there a reason for offense? No. No, there isn't. This is the, this is the best group of people any of you have ever known. It is. There's no reason to be coy about that. I've never had truer friends or better friends. And if we don't recognize that, it's because of an offense. It's not a legitimate offense, it's just offense. It, it's something that Satan creeps up and begins to begins to try to defile the good things that God wants to do in your life. What dad said today, the fellowship brings joy and Satan wants to come in and bring not joy. He wants to bring discouragement and depression and if he can get you to stop trusting and believing and, and, and hanging on to and, and depending on people around you and the kingdom of God, then he's done his job. Fence is from the devil. It's not from the Lord. It will always draw you to make alliance with people who you would otherwise ignore or, or abstain from or stay away from. It will, it will cause you to permit things that would otherwise turn your stomach just because of the commonality of the offense. So I want you to notice the primary attitude that drives all of this behavior. It's this idea that we are all equal. Now, does God love each of us in this body with the same amount of love? Absolutely. I don't believe he loves the world, the, those who are cursing him and, and denying him. I don't believe he loves the ones who are, I'm going to be careful because we have little ears, defiling little children. I don't think he looks at them and says, oh, I just love them so much. I think he looks at his kingdom. In fact, the scripture says that that there is a preferential love of, of the Lord even. That he looks at those who are following him and he loves them. But do we each have different function within the kingdom? Does God give different placing and different calling? Well, clearly he does. Just exactly as Paul gave the example of our bodies where we all have different members. There's different functions. Our hands and our feet and our mouth and our hair and and all of that stuff. And it all works together to make up one body. Well, this is what we are. We are one body, but we do not all have the same function. And the idea that we are all to be mouthpieces or all to be faces or all to be feet is a ridiculous idea. If you were born with only a face, only a head, you would not survive. You would be missing your heart. If you were born with only a heart and no head, you would not survive. You would have no no brain, no capacity to make that function. And so every part works together to provide and and to become the people that God wants us to be. But the, the thought that God is with all of us and I don't need a pastor or I don't need a church or I don't need this ministry... This thought is at the heart of rebellion. And let's not think for a moment that God will, will tolerate rebellion. Dustin made a good point when he was teaching the other night, and, and I'm going to kind of springboard a thought. And that would be this. Having a stiff neck might not be, or having a sore neck might not be a sin unto death. But having a stiff neck will be a sin unto death. I, I th- just thought it was interesting. God doesn't really ever describe anybody in, in a negative way for, for having a sore neck, but he does despise those who are stiff-necked. And there are times where we just get a little bit out. When I get driving a lot, I work, and you would think you know, physically working might, might affect you more, but I, my back and my neck hurt worse when I get on a long drive in a car than they do if I get out there and shovel all day long. And sometimes it just needs to be realigned. There are times when we just go through things and we just get a little bit out. I and mean, we do that with our spouses. I know none of you do, but, you know, Carrie and I every now and again, it's my fault, of course. But, you know, you, you just end up a little bit out and you've, you've got to get back in that... I don't think that the Lord looks and says, well, because you had an attitude one time or because you, you, know, you were thinking maybe a thought that wasn't really great about somebody in the body. I don't think that the Lord says, hey, I'm kicking you out. You're not a part of the body. But then we have a whole nother thing, which is a, a, an evil and a stiff-necked generation. That's one who won't hear the word of the Lord. And this leads to death. This leads to the destruction of your life. I want you to look at Moses' response. What happens when Korah flies in his face? Gets a congregation of 250 men to stand up in in the face of Moses and Aaron and begin to accuse them and say that they are operating outside. Moses is not, I know this strikes us as crazy, but Moses is not an overly confident person. Do you realize that? When God says, I want you to speak, he says, God, I can't do that. He says, No, I'm going to give you the bill. He says, I can't do that. To the point that God says, Fine, I'll have your brother go with you, and your brother can speak for you. He's not, Moses is not one to usurp authority. Moses is really one to sit back. And so, for him to have somebody in his grill accusing him of things that are false, I mean, this is difficult. This is hard to take. But what is Moses' response? He falls on his face. He says, God, this is bad. This is really bad. And Moses had every right and every authority to to remove Korah immediately from the camp. To kick him out from the congregation. Everybody say amen. Every right. Why did he not? Because that was not his desire. I think I'm going to deal with this the next time I, I speak. So I'll let that go. But, but Moses' response was one of, of contrition, of, of heaviness. He felt this burden on him. And while he did not intend for, for evil to come to Korah, he at the same time understood that this cannot stand in Israel. If Korah is given his way, he will lead every single person away from God. So it can't stand. It's a gangrene. The problem with the spirit of Korah is it's a gangrene. And it's not just gonna sit there and be a tumor. It's gonna rot everything it touches. You can have a broken bone, and, and it may not set right, and it may just be a problem for you, but if you get gangrene set in that, it's going to contaminate everything until you cut it off, and there's no longer an ability to happen. And so Moses understands that this is exactly what is going to have to happen. Moses knows that the challenge to the operation of the kingdom of God cannot be overlooked. Can't. It, it can't be tolerated. So I'm going to skip down through the chapter. You can go home and read it because most of you probably haven't read it recently. But You can go home and read it, but Moses offers an ultimate truth to Korah in verse 11. And I want to look at that. He says, For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? The problem is, when you become Korah, Korah's issue is with God. That's what Moses is saying. You're gathering against the Lord. You're not Why are you talking about Aaron? What does Aaron have to do with this? You've got a problem with God. And the reality is, offense and bitterness is between you and God, it's never between you and people. It isn't. They will, oh man, they have, I have every right to feel the way I do. First off, no you don't. The scripture gives all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't. However, the reason that bitterness stays is because you've got a problem with God. Because God cleanses, heals, and makes right. God unites and brings together. God is not okay with division and schism within his body. So God always brings things together. So if you still have a problem with a brother or a sister, the problem is with God and not with man. So this is what Moses says to Korah. Why why are you even talking about Aaron? You've got a problem. You've gathered against God. Do you realize what you've done? Do we realize what we've done? Now, Now, let's just start in reverse order. Do you realize what you've done when you come out and, and blast against a pastor? Your problem is not with the pastor. Your problem is with the one who set up pastors. Do you realize what you've done when you blast against ministry? God set up the five-fold ministry, not me. Do you realize what you've done when you become bitter and carry offense against your brother and your sister? It's not me who says you have to be brothers and sisters. It's the Lord who said, you will, I will know that you love me by your love one for another. Not me. I didn't make this up. So if you walk out of here mad today, you're really mad at God. When we refuse to allow God to begin to work in us, it's really our issue with Him. Our issue is with Him and with His system. Not with the men. There's certainly bad pastors. There's certainly bad people in church. There's bad people in ministry. They are not here. And, and I've seen people who, you know, who, who have willingly jumped into awful, awful spiritual situations out of these offenses and out of these bitternesses that have created such turmoil and so many problems in their lives. But really their issue Resided not with me, not with somebody else, not with another church, but with the Lord. So I, wanna, I just want to read you a few scriptures. Jeremiah three fifteen says, "Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and with understanding." Who, who is giving those shepherds? The Lord, not me. First Corinthians twelve and twenty eight, and the work, or, and, and in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, and those with gifts of healing, helping administration in various tongues. Who did that? The Lord. Not echoes of Calvary, not Pentecost Church of God, not UPC, not the First Baptist. None of those were created to, to create these positions. God did it. Ephesians 4, of course, we all know, but let's read a few extra verses in here. And then he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man and to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. So God establishes establishes ministry for the purpose of growth in the body. Can everybody say amen? Man didn't establish ministry, God did. But it goes on. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, Korah, and their cunning craftiness, Korah, who they lie and wait to deceive, Korah, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So do we see the appointment of God and his desire for, for ministry to develop within us? You say, well, that's because you're a pastor. I, I function. You call me whatever you want. Just call me Rodney. That's fine with me. I perceive myself to be nothing. And I sit and am taught by our ministry who are teaching at other times. This isn't a hierarchy. This isn't a better than anybody. This is an appointment, and we're all functioning in the gifts and the callings that God has placed within our lives. But you're supposed to have them too. Come on, everybody say amen. It's not supposed to be just a one-man show. It's never been the desire for our pastor that it would be a one-man show. The problem is, a lot of times, the pastor has to do everything because everybody else is too busy being offended. He's got to lead the worship and he's got to teach every service because nobody's grown up in Christ. you got a bunch of babies who want to talk about beards. When talk about, you can't wear pants. They don't want to talk about Jesus. Nobody knows him. So we're, all, we're never being edified. We're never developing into the man or the woman that God wants us to be. It's not intended to be a one-man show, but I, I'm just trying to establish something very clearly. Not because you give the mic to anybody and have them come up and read these notes. I don't care. It doesn't bother me one bit. God established this, not man. It's God's work. Everybody say amen. God did it for the purpose of growth and strength. So Korah is swallowed up by the earth for his rebellion. Moses Calls them and, him and, and Dathan and Abiram and he says, "Listen, I, you guys all come tomorrow. You got a challenge against Aaron. Now, th- I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about the guts. So you got a challenge against Aaron. You come and you bring your censers for burning incense. I want you to bring them. And Aaron's going to stand before the Lord, and you stand before the Lord." And you bring your accusation. Would anybody dare? Why don't you think about it for a moment. Would you dare? They did. They showed up literally defying the work that God had set forth. And God swallowed them up. And and a fire went out and consumed the, the 250 of them... And God says, Hey, I want you to take the, the censors and I want you to beat them into a covering for, for the, uh, the altar in the, in the tabernacle because I always want it to be a, a remembrance to those that they would dare stand in the face of me. Again, this isn't about me. I, I'm nobody. This isn't about past. This, leave this church and go somewhere else. This applies. This has nothing to do with, with trying to gain some kind of strength or authority. I don't want it. I reject it. This is the thought process. So Korah is swallowed up by the earth for his rebellion. And I thought about it in this way. You can see a little type. The desires of his flesh caused him to be consumed by the very thing he was made of. The earth. He was consumed by his flesh. By what he was made of. And you would think that that would be all it would take. You'd think that would be the end of the story right there. That God swallows Korah. He disappears into the ground. 250 men laying dead. You'd think that would be like, whoop, that's enough. Everybody now going to get in line with God's business, right? No. You would be incorrect. The day after Korah and his cohorts are killed by the Lord, all of the congregation of Israel, accused Moses of assassinating Korah. Now, I want you to think about, again, if you believed that Moses was not ordered of God, was not a man of God, but had the power to open the earth, swallow men, and then send out a fire and burn 250 of them, would you stand in his face? It would seem obvious that Moses was a man of God and that God had done this in judgment. But all of Israel, the entire group, stood and murmured against Moses saying, you have assassinated godly men. And I wondered how often this would happen if we did according to the word of God ever. Now, we've never done this. But, but what, if I, what if you did do ex- actually what, the, what God says to do with people who are, who are causing division and problems? Would, would we receive that? Or would we stand up and say, see, yeah, yeah, that's the problem. That pastor just kicked that person out of the church. Well, yeah, Korah's got to go. But that's not Moses' perspective. It's not what Moses wants. But they all fly in the face. And God's anger is hot. I mean, to use a word, God's ticked off. He is mad. Because not only did he try to squelch this rebellion with just the ones, but this is always how it is. That's that green. Corbin's sowing all these seeds. He's been going to everybody he can find, trying to talk, trying to find a, a way to weasel in with all of his filth. And you would think... That, that would be enough to see him consumed. But now the whole congregation. And God says, I'm killing them all. Taking care of business. Again. Look at what Moses' reaction would be. You'd have to skip down through the chapter. And what you're going to find is the godly man tells Aaron, Aaron. Go get a censer from the altar and put an incense. An incense within the Old Testament is considered a type of prayer. And it, the smoke rises as it's burnt and it's the idea of prayers being offered up to God. He says, I want you to grab the, You got to a, a censer with the incense off the altar and you need to take it and, and get into the camp because there's a plague that's already going out. 14,700 people have already died. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. In my flesh, if I was Moses, what are you doing? Y'all think you know everything? Got it figured out? Have at it. We'll see how you stand against the judgment of God. That would be an easy perspective to take. But what does a godly man do? The godly man begins to cry out for the mercy of God. And look at Aaron, the one the one who's done nothing in this. All he is is just a servant to Moses. He's serving God in the temple. He's not, he's not doing anything but trying to honor the Lord and, and honor his brother, honor the leadership. That's all he's doing. But he's been the one who's been assaulted here. And Aaron, he doesn't walk. The scripture says he runs to the middle of the camp. And he stands, and this is such an amazing picture. He stands between the dead and the living. And he offers prayer and sacrifice to the Lord as an atonement for the sins of the people. And the plague is stopped. I said this a few weeks ago, and I I hope it's something that you will think about again. Remember when I talked about the man chopping down the tree, and it's a borrowed axe handle, and a borrowed axe handle is always brittle because you don't own it. It's not your connection to Christ, it's somebody else's connection to Christ. And you're always going to break that, and it's always going to fly off. But you get the man of God because he knows how to whittle the handle down that fixed the axe head. The, the restoration to word Christ is always through the ministry that God sets up. And I'm not talking about echoes of Calvary ministry. I'm talking about in general. And God always puts men. God always puts men. Who are going to run and stand in the gap. God calls men. You, you, Cora, you want to know why that you're not the one? because you're trying to assault the one. But that one's going to go stand in the gap between God and death that should be coming at you trying to pull you away from where you're going. It's the difference between godly men, the spirit of God working in us and the spirit of Korah. He ran into the congregation. So I'm finished and here's a couple of things that I think we can learn from this 16th chapter of Numbers. One, God is not mocked. Scripture says, whatever a man sows, that he is also going to reap. Two, the Spirit of the Lord inspires men to be surrounded by godly counsel. The Spirit of Korah always surrounds itself with ungodly counsel. The Spirit of the Lord inspires leaders to stand in the gap for those who should be judged by God. The spirit of Korah stands in judgment against the people of God. And the spirit of the Lord inspires leaders to quickly work to heal problems. It's a challenge I want everybody to hear. The spirit of the Lord inspires leadership, inspires godly men and women to work quickly to heal problems. The spirit of Korah adds every offense to a festering pot of bitterness. It's the difference. How do we avoid the pitfalls of Korah? I think Jude gives us the answer to this question. Jude, only one chapter, the 10th verse. I'm going to read it in the NLT. I don't normally do this, but I just think it it may be a little bit easier to follow along. I just want you to, to listen to this, starting in the 10th verse. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instinct tells them. And so they bring upon themselves their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them. For they follow in the footsteps of Cain who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. So Korah, he made the New Testament example. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating division among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up In your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And await on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will bring to you eternal life. In this way you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. And rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still to others. But do so with great caution. Hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Do you think that Jude thought it was important? Do you think that this this thought was important? To the early church... Listen, in the last days, there's going to be issues. It's going to rise up. There's going to be problems because the devil's not content. The answer is that we must build each other up. Did you hear that in the Scripture? That's the answer. How do we avoid the pitfalls of Korah? We must build each other up. What if... Let, let me give you a couple of what ifs, and, th- and then I really am going to be done. What if you're the ministry... That is being attacked. Do you call down fire? Listen, Moses and Aaron did not call down fire. God judged them for what they had done. But what do you see Moses doing? Falling on his face. What do you see Moses doing? Saying, God, don't don't kill them all. What do you see Aaron doing? Running into the camp to make sure that the, the plague has stayed. We must work quickly to heal the vision. Even if we are the one to whom the attack is coming. I have seen this modeled for me for 27 years. I've tried to, to live under this exact model myself. Working to resolve. Yes, of course, when we're the ones who's attacked, we, we feel like we have every right to lash out and say, you know what, I'm done. And, and, and then the Lord would say to us, but you don't know what spirit you're of. My spirit is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what I want. That's what the spirit of the Lord wants. He wants repentance. He doesn't want death destruction and we must grab some and yank them you know there's there, there might be somebody who would leave here today and say, man that was a pretty pretty hard tug yeah I'm, if that's the case if that's how you feel it's because I'm trying to drag you out of the fire but there, there's nothing that that we really have that can keep anything from From infiltrating, listen, the, the work of the Lord will never be destroyed by Satan from the outside. They can persecute the church and all that ever happens is it gets stronger. It's all that ever happens. But you get division and offense and bitterness. And you know what always happens out of that? Splinters into another church. It's always the result. I would finish, but I felt the Lord this morning say this in my heart. And so I'm going to, because I feel it's this pointed. I'm not supposing, I don't know anybody's heart. I mean, we're all super close. We, we know each other well. But I really don't, I really don't know why, you know, the Lord put this so strongly, but I, I will say this. I felt the Lord speak into my heart. If you leave this place now, Today, with an issue that you refuse to allow to be resolved. Then it is between you and God. Because we have zero reason why we should not unite in Christ. It is what the Lord desires for us. If you've got an issue with your husband or your wife you've got an issue with your children, if you've got an issue with a brother or a sister, it must be dealt with. This is the Spirit of God is gonna deal with these things and unite His body. Everybody say amen. The Spirit of Korah would divide, not the Spirit of the Lord. So I wanna encourage you, every one of you, say, well, man, I'm feeling great. I love everybody good. Just remember that the next time you get mad. Refuse to allow anything to stand in between you and your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Amen. Pastor, why don't you come and close us?